Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. And just to update you, thanks in large part to many of you, uh, we've been able to purchase a new home in central Missoula. And there's a lot of work ahead of us when it comes to making another warehouse our church home. And you can continue to contribute to remodel and renovation funds at achurchbuilding.com. But we just want to express to you how grateful we are for your support. And we hope that this resource you're about to listen to will be a blessing for you as well. Let's, let's pray really quick, um, just one more time before we get started. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for um, the gathering, um, a world that's hard to gather in. God, we, we feel the, the blessing of the gathered church. Lord, I pray uh, as we arrive at Christmas and reflect and remember and look forward, uh, Lord Jesus, to, to your glory and to your coming, Lord, I, I'm I pray that we would reflect deeply on what it means for us and uh, for, our, for our eternity, but and for what it means for now too, Lord. I pray that our efforts this morning would be glorifying, that we would understand you in a deeper way. Um, yeah, we ask for help this morning to understand you more deeply, that you might be more glorious to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, obviously it's, uh, it's been a weird year, Right? That's an understatement. Uh, 2020, we are always going to remember 2020, a weird year. Chaos, uncertainty, fear, and that's just an election. So much of this year has been uncomfortable, awkward, dark. And we begin Christmas this week, Christmas week, and it couldn't arrive soon enough. We, uh, in an uncertain world, we could really use the familiarity of family and the joys of spending time with the people we love uh, the light of Christmas, the joy of Christmas, all of the little things surrounding Christmas, it can't arrive soon enough. For those, of, for those of us that are able, we're going to be spending time with family, spending mornings drinking coffee, sharing the warmth of our homes with our children and our parents and our in-laws, giving gifts under our bright trees, reading the story of Jesus' birth with our little ones, eating our favorite meals, traditional Christmas meals, laughing around our fireplace. Christmas is a season of bright joy and anticipation, and reflection. It's actually like, it's literally bright, right? Like Christmas lights. Like we hang Christmas lights all around Christmas. We, uh, my wife and I bought a house this summer, and we learned, but before Thanksgiving, that our neighborhood goes hard with Christmas lights. Like they go all out. And uh, we got several neighbors that have like all the blow-ups, their whole house, like up on like the crest of the roof. I don't know what that's called, because I'm not, everywhere. Christmas lights are everywhere. And we're just not, I'm just not that guy. I'm really not. Part of it's laziness. Part of it's I'm a little bit of a Grinch. Um, but we tried a little bit. Because we live on this block where everyone around us is just is going for it with the Christmas lights, um, we, we tried a little bit. And by we, I mean my in-laws got some, a wreath around our door and a couple, blow up, or a couple of Christmas trees pre-lit. Um, I did put up a, a blow-up Olaf in our front yard. So we have an Olaf. And Harper gets to wake Olaf up every night before she goes to bed. Um, that's pretty cute. At any rate, everything surrounding Christmas is bright. It's, it's, it's joy. It's light. But if you think about where Christmas comes in the year, it's actually the darkest time of the year, winter. And so to brighten up this darkness, to bring joy to the season, we light up the darkness. We have decorations and colors and our Christmas trees and wrap, co- colors on our wrapping paper. We have specific dishes we haul out for Christmas that are colorful and joyful and festive. 
It's also the coldest time of year, Christmas, winter. The fires and our heating bills are higher than they've ever been. They, they've been all year, and remote starters get more work than they usually do. Everything surrounding Christmas is bright and warm, but it's actually the darkest and coldest time of year. In our attitudes, in our experience with Christmas, it often reflects that festive joy that we create with all these activities, like lights and hot chocolate and gingerbread houses. And with all of it, reflecting on what it means, what, what it means to ref, reflecting on what it means, what Advent means, and to look, look at the, the birth of Jesus and look forward to the second Advent, reflecting on all of that, I think we miss a major part of the context of Christmas. We miss the darkness that Christmas exists in. It's the coldest and darkest time of year where lights are used to brighten the darkness and fires and sweaters we're used to warm the cold. See, the reality of the incarnation of Jesus is that he showed up in a dark, dark world, a world of contempt towards God, a world of sin and brokenness, a world of war and oppression. The bright light of the joy of the gospel arrived in a world of darkness and sin. And that's what our text is going to be about this morning. Um, Rather, that's what our text is going to exist in this morning, is this context of darkness. Our Advent sermon this morning is going to be taking that that darkness and shining the light of Jesus on it. That's our theme this morning, a light in the darkness. And as I was preparing for this, I came across a quote um, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor during the World War II era, and it says this, He says this in a sermon. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater to come. Perhaps we've thought so much of God as love eternal, and we feel warm pleasures of Christmas when he comes gently like a child. We've been shielded from the awful nature of Christmas and no longer feel afraid at the coming near of God Almighty. We have selected from the Christmas story only the pleasant bits, forgetting the awesome nature of an event which the God of the universe, its creator, its sustainer, draws near to this little planet and now speaks to us. The coming of God is not only a message of joy, but also fearful news for anyone who has a conscience. It is only by facing up to the fearfulness of the event that we can begin to understand the incomparable blessing. God comes into the midst of evil and death to judge the evil in the world and in us. A beautiful quote, but not exactly the go-to quote for the feel-good of the Christmas season, is it? Christmas is a season of joy, and it should be. The incarnation of Jesus is a celebration, and we want to celebrate it and remember it and experience that joy. But context matters, and the context of Jesus coming is his arrival in a broken world, a world of death, disease, pain, suffering, a world of darkness. And as Bonhoeffer points out, the only way that we can truly comprehend the depth and the vastness of the joy of the light of Jesus is to understand the the depth of the darkness, the anguish of darkness that he arrived in. And so this morning, we're going to lean into the darkness a little bit at the beginning here so that that the joy that Christ brings in the incarnation can be all the more beautiful to us. And so this morning, we want to be reminded of where our hope is promised to those without it and also reflect on the joy of God's deliverance on that promise in Jesus. And our thesis this morning is fairly simple. It's just going to be this. Only Jesus can bring light and peace to the sin and darkness of this world. 
There is no hope like Jesus. There is no deliverance like Jesus. There is no redemption like Jesus. And this morning, rather than having any real call to do, to go and do this week, my hope is that this is a call to stop and think, to stop and reflect, to consider, as Paul often says in the New Testament, to consider the sweetness of Jesus in light of a broken world. And as Tyler read, we're going to be in a text often associated with Christmas, Isaiah 9. Uh, but while we often focus on the last part of that, the child that is born, uh, we, we want to add context to that. We want to understand the world that that is, the world that the promise is coming to and the world that Jesus is coming to. And so we're going we're gonna to start this morning our Advent sermon with point one is going to be the anguish of darkness. We want to understand the darkness of the promise of the child. And so we're going to read Isaiah 8, verse 21 and 22. The end of verse 8, right before this beautiful promise is made. Let's pick up verse 21 with me. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. They is the people of God. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into thick darkness. So this is a time, the book of Isaiah, this is a time in the history of God's people where they're about to be taken captive by another nation. Uh, for most of the existence of, of, of God's people, they've been captives. They've been in exile and out of exile, captives and free, captives and free. It's a cycle over and over again in the Old Testament. And, and, and what's happening in chapter 8 here, the first part is God telling his people to prepare for an invasion. That they're going, to be, they're going to be conquered by the nation of Assyria. And the second half of chapter 8 is Isaiah calling his people to, despite that invasion, despite the oppression, despite what's about to happen to them, to stay faithful to God, to hold on to the promises of God and his covenants, to look to the, the law of Moses and the promises of God, that they're about to experience an unprecedented amount of anguish and pain and destruction again, that darkness is going to come fall over the nation and that it will be anguish. And to, as the second part, chapter eight, is to forsake the false lights of seeking, the, of seeking redemption in themselves, of seeking joy in themselves, of trying to find a way out that isn't contained in the promises of God. To trust that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And so we arrive at Isaiah 8, 21 and 22. See, there are moments in our history as people, as, as, as a nation, in the West, American West, where I think we can begin to identify with what these people are about to experience. And I say it all the time, we're really privileged, so I think we can only begin to understand this. I mean, we're so insulated from the brutality that much of the world isn't, but there are moments where we have tastes and glimpses of this, this widespread darkness that God's people constantly felt. Think back over the last hundred years with world wars, World War II and Pearl Harbor and the threat of Nazi Germany, the Great Depression and the vast swath of poverty that swept our nation, Vietnam, and then thinking back to my lifetime, September 11th, I remember waking up and not really know what's going on, but I was in junior high, and I remember the fear and the small amount of anxiety that a 
you know, 13-year-old can feel. Thinking back to 2007 and 2008 with the financial crisis and homes that were lost and jobs that were lost and retirements that were gone, families that were devastated, fear of another Great Depression, and 2020. Remember the beginning of COVID, there were, we, we didn't know anything, right? We, we didn't know anything as COVID happened. There were, there were nations where the, the death rate was as high as 5%. It's like this anticipation, this fear that millions and millions of people were going to die. But even now, knowing that it, it, it's not that bad, but still the, the life-changing jobs going online and those that can't being lost, people being laid off, family visits being gone over the holidays for many people, the loss of friendship, the feeling that, that community has been all but lost. So we can often be prisoners of the moment, but the reality of 2020, it's been a hard year. It's been hard. It's been a dark year. But even beyond the darkness of, of these, these vast events in history, like wars and diseases and terrorism, pandemics, every single one of us experiences the darkness of this world in broken relationships, broken marriages, dead-end jobs, failures at work, Vices and addictions and sin that consume our heart. The darkness of sin comes from without, like a Syria, like a pandemic, but it also comes from within. It comes from our hearts, the sin that grips us. See, the thing about the darkness, though, for God's people, it was, it was always changing. The direct threat that Isaiah is talking about is this nation of Assyria, but a powerful conquering nation. But after, after Assyria, Assyria's not going to last forever. Another nation's going to come. Babylon's going to come and conquer Israel. And then just as that grip was loosening, Persia would come. And then Greece would come. And then Rome would come over and over and over again. God's people would be oppressed. And then they'd just see a glimpse of light and hope that their circumstances would change. And yet they're oppressed again. Like God's people, we are fearful and we are tempted to look to ourselves for light in the ever-changing darkness, to look to a change in our circumstances as light in the darkness. Like Israel, we're tempted to look elsewhere for peace and joy and happiness. We begin to, be, begin to seek light in a successful career, the security of a successful career. The promise that a happy marriage will bring you someone to always be with you, to always talk to, to always be around. Sometimes it's the light of a bingeable Netflix queue that promises to keep you distracted from everything happening out there. And like God's people, Isaiah is pleading with us to remain faithful to God, to put hope in only that which is worthy of it, to forsake not the promises and goodness of God, because there is a but coming. There is a but coming. The anguish of darkness would not be permanent. God would deliver his people. God would fulfill his promises. Look at Isaiah 9, first part of what Tyler read. And here comes the but. But, actually, I'm gonna read verse 22 as well. It won't be up there. So, and they will look to the earth, and but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into thick darkness, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. 
In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior of battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Amidst this darkness of Israel, a great light would shine. In the deep darkness, a great light will shine. Hope will be realized. Joy will return. The burden, the yoke, the staff of oppression will be destroyed. The darkness will not last. The darkness will not win. It was amidst the constant shifting darkness of oppression that God gave his people something to hold on to, a promise, a promise of deliverance, a promise of hope, a promise of joy, a promise of, gl of glorious light that would bring warmth to even the coldest night. We love these promises. We love these promises. We make them all the times to ourselves. COVID hasn't lasted a year, at, year yet, and we already are giving a vaccine to frontline workers. A miracle. It's a miracle. Less than a year, and we have a vaccine for this virus. But implicit in the arrival of this vaccine is a promise to the return of normalcy, a return to visiting our grandparents, restaurants, sporting events, return of friends and community. And we should be grateful. But when it's all behind us and you can show up to church without a mask, you can worship and listen and socialize and, and fellowship without a mask on, there will always be another darkness. We live in a broken world. And that darkness might not be on a global scale, but that darkness will be present. And the question we must consider this morning is what promise are you holding on to? Is a vaccine the promise you're holding on to? What hope will you find, or what light will you find hope in? Is it the escapism of entertainment? See, from the point of this prophecy in Isaiah, it would be 700 years until Jesus would come. 700 years. And during that 700 years, God's people would experience the darkness of being politically, culturally, and religiously oppressed. 700 years but n with nothing but a promise to hold on to. Just when it seemed like things would get better and the nation dominating them would fall, another would take its place. Isn't that kind of our experience with sin, with suffering? Just when one thing in our life seems to get better, just when our marriage seems to be getting better, something else creeps in and replaces that darkness. But not at Christmas. Not at Christmas. We get a break from school. We get a break from work. We're allowed to forget for a week or two. We're allowed to forget about our stalled career, our struggling grades in school, the broken relationship with our friend, our wife, our family. And we love Christmas for that reason. We focus on the lights and the joy and the peace and the colors and the gifts, and the gingerbread houses, the family, the warmth, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, 
Forgetting the hard parts of life and focus on the moments of joy that we get this season. But don't you think there might be significance to the fact that our celebration of the great light of Jesus' birth comes during the darkest and coldest time of the year? For God's people, the light of Jesus arrived at the darkest and coldest time of their existence, 700 years of oppression, 400 of that years, God didn't even speak to them. If we truly want to appreciate the light of the glory of Jesus this season, we cannot afford to miss and ignore and pretend that the darkness doesn't exist. The celebration of Christmas is not worth cheapening with pie-in-the-sky Christianity, convincing ourselves that the darkness is gone or doesn't matter because it isn't and it does. It will, it will leave. Tyler's sermon a couple of weeks ago, the second advent, Jesus will come back. We will arrive at eternity and there will be no darkness. The promise of peace is so much sweeter when war is all you know. The promise of freedom is consuming when oppression is your life. But we have to be careful too. Because recognizing the darkness, acknowledging the darkness during this season doesn't mean being overcome by it. Because God's promise is, God's promise is that in Jesus it won't. See, for some, the temptation isn't to forget or ignore the darkness during the Christmas season. It's to wallow in it. Not to ignore the darkness, but to ignore the promise. Either way, we're missing a piece of the reality of Christmas. Without Jesus, there is no hope in the darkness, and without Jesus, there is no reason for the light. If your Christmas doesn't include Jesus, if your life doesn't include Jesus, if it doesn't include the promise of God in Jesus, there can be no lasting hope. There can be no lasting joy. The joy of Christmas will be limited to a blow-up Olaf, sugar cookies, and your favorite meal. And then a return to the darkness, a drudgery of everyday life. For God's people, for a hurting world during a pandemic, it is in a world of darkness that the great light shines. Read verse, one through, read verse two and three with me, rather. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. But... There will be no gloom for she who is in anguish. After 700 years, a great light will dawn, and the beautiful reality of God is that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. Our third point tonight is the glory of the light. Read with me verse 6 and 7 of chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A promise of a babe, a child, a mighty God, wonderful counselor. Turn over to Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. We read the fulfillment of this promise. 
the glory of the light. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is a born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The child of promise, a babe in a manger, the fulfillment of mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, a swaddled baby, the child king. After holding on for 700 years to a promise of deliverance, that God would choose to arrive in the form of an innocent and helpless babe. Weakness amidst, amidst the power of oppression that God's people had been languishing in for so long. An irony that their deliverance would come so unexpected. See, over and over and over again, God's wisdom shames the wise. The power of God makes impotent the strong. An emblematic of God's greatness would be the irony of a little baby being the prince of peace, everlasting father, mighty God. Further evidence of God's ways being so much vaster, deeper, and incomprehensible than we can presume to know was what this babe came to do. See, certainly the people of God expected to conquer, right? Like, why wouldn't they? So often in the Old Testament, the promises to deliver God's people come in the midst of oppression, where nation after nation has enslaved them, made them a vassal, conquering and owning them. God's promise of deliverance is a mighty God, a prince of peace. It wasn't unreasonable to expect to conquer. Go back to verse 5 of, our primary, of Isaiah 9. For every boot, or rather 7, excuse me, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Government, throne, kingdom, all this language of ruling, all this language of government. A paradox then that the promised ruler would arrive in swaddling cloth in a manger. Furthermore, it wasn't unreasonable for them to expect bloodshed. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. A world of war and oppression, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. These nations warring, ruling, conquering, shedding blood. Not unreasonable to expect a conqueror that would shed the blood of their enemies. But again, a paradox that that ruler would arrive as a baby in a manger. That, that unexpected king would arrive as a child, but would grow into the promise of Isaiah 9. Look at Matthew 4, verse 12. Excuse me. <clears throat> verse 17. Now when he, this is Jesus, he's beginning his ministry. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, 
in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them a light has dawned. So from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We read our Bible. We want to read our whole Bible because we want to understand the context. Because without all of God's promises, we're not going to get it. We're not going to see it. We're going to miss truths. And Israel missed these really important truths because Isaiah doesn't end at chapter 9. The people expected a conquering hero to shed the blood of their enemies, to conquer their enemies. But they would miss what was being conquered and whose blood would be shed. Go to Isaiah 53. We're going to skip through the chapter a little bit, starting in verse 2. For he grew up before him a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Go to verse 5. It's talking about Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. It's Jesus' blood. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Finally, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The light of Jesus, the light of the child, would experience the full weight of darkness that this world has to offer, the whole weight of darkness that sin has to offer. From his temptation in the desert as he's starving, tempted by Satan himself, to a night in the garden where he's sweating blood at anticipation of what's about to happen. To the moment that he died on a tree carrying the death sentence of sin that all Christians would forever, or forever would deserve. Jesus would experience the darkest darkness and still that darkness would not extinguish his light. John 1, verse 5. It's talking about Jesus. The light shines in the dark. Let's read one through five, sorry. It won't be up there. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing that was made, was made that was made. It's talking about Jesus. And in him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The glory of the light is that the darkness cannot overcome it. The glory of the gospel is that despite the weight of darkness, Jesus overcame it. He arrived in a broken world and he conquered the brokenness of the world. Death, sin, darkness could not keep him down. For he is God in the flesh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. This is good news 
for us. It is good news of great joy. Because what does light do? Light makes us see. Right? We see because there's light in here. We see because of the light. Functionally, it's the purpose of light. Without headlights on cars, we're foolishly wandering in the darkness in steel death traps. Without light in our house, the Harper's toys become landmines of pain and anguish for our feet. Light makes us see what is true and what is real. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 through 7. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Can't see it. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing darkness, to keep them from seeing the light of the, glory, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. There's this thought among the world about Christians, religious, thought about religious people in general, faith in general, spirituality, that the dogma, the doctrine, the theology, the spirituality, that it's all a means to escape, to cope with death and war, pandemics. And that's something culture actually kind of, not that sentiment, but the darkness. Culture sees the darkness. Culture recognizes the darkness. That's why activism and politicians and charities, and so much exists to cope and deal with the darkness. It's where they search for answers and where they claim to see light that they go awry. But culture looks at faith and at Jesus and sees a delusion, a blindfold that religious people put on to cope with the evil of this world. Marx famously said religion is the opiate of the people. But the Bible makes an entirely different argument. Faith in Jesus is light shining in the darkness. It is seeing for the first time reality. What is true the light of the gospel of Jesus isn't a hope for the best spirituality to escape reality. The light of the gospel of Jesus is actually seeing reality for the first time. It's a transition from blindness to sight. So if you have found yourself, if you're in this room and you found yourself confused with the significance of religion and why people would believe this stuff, uncertain of the role of spirituality in your life, Confused about Jesus. There is no time to, there's no better time to deeply consider the reality of the gospel than this dark, sea, cold season in which we celebrate his birth and incarnation. If you have yet to experience the light of the gospel of Jesus, perhaps this right here is the moment, your 2 Corinthians 4, 6 moment. 
where light is shining on your heart. If you feel that, I implore you not to ignore it. Because nothing else will make sense of this world like Jesus. See, God's people had to wait for 700 years for deliverance. We don't. That's why we celebrate. We have it. He's here. He's arrived. And he accomplished his mission. The light has arrived. The light was afflicted and crushed. And yet it still shone through. There's hope to see through COVID. It doesn't come in the form of that vaccine. It already came as a child in a manger. And it is offered freely to all. All we have to do is see it to experience it. My hope this Christmas is not that I would ignore this darkness. Again, we all feel this darkness of 2020 and we all have those personal darknesses warring inside of us. My hope is not to ignore it, push it aside, pretend it's not there, enjoy the moments of joy with my daughter and wife and family, but that I would feel it and still yet see the light of the glory of the gospel shining through. My prayer is that your Christmas would not be filled with distractions and escape from the darkness, but reminders of what it means to see the light in the darkness. That's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we... As Johnny preached last week, we are humbled. We are brought low. Lord, considering the circumstances around us and the circumstances of our own hearts and the sin that it wars in us, the, the flesh that wars against, the truth that we know, Lord, it's so easy to forget for a moment. It's so easy to ignore. Lord, I pray that as we see the light of the gospel, that we would not forget the darkness in which it came because it is that darkness that makes the glory of Jesus all the sweeter. It is what we were without Jesus that makes our present condition all the more glorious. Father, I pray that we stop, we consider, that we'd pray, that we'd thank you for the incarnation, for Jesus, for fulfillment of a promise, we love you. We need you to see it. In Jesus' name, amen.